Good morning. Great to be here with you today. It is a beautiful fall day today, is it not? Come on, praise Jesus. Yes, a little pumpkin spice latte action happening today. It was a little bit premature to get the pumpkin spice before now, but there's a little fall chill in the air. And so uh, welcome. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. This is what we call a church startup. We're a young church. All of our college students, or many of them, I might add, are are out of town. We do a lot of campus ministry. We've got a big fall retreat that's happening, which is one of the reasons why there's so many empty chairs. Many of our campus ministers and staff and students are out of town at our regional Every Nation Conference. You're thinking, well, what's Every Nation? Every Nation is the spiritual family that we're a part of. And we have churches all over the United States and the world. And we're a young church in the Atlanta area with a uh, thriving campus ministry, and many of our students are worshiping and getting taught and trained and, and uh, being encouraged with a couple, several hundred other students from campus ministries around the U.S. Uh, so it's, it's exciting. It's a fun time. It's great to be here with you today. Davis alluded to it, uh, but before we do, I want to I touch base on just a little adjustment that we're making in our church. You know, when you're about 100 people, 110 people, the shift to being a church that, that functions at 200 and 250, I want to encourage you with this, or maybe discourage you with it. I, I, I'm not sure. It's a hard transition. It's a difficult one. Because much of what you do has to shift in significant ways to accommodate more people. And in case you're wondering, we're not just, a, you know, we're not just, we don't just care about numbers. But understand that numbers represent people. And numbers represent souls. And one of the things that we value at our church is reaching our community with the gospel. We care about people. We care about people that know Jesus and need a church, but we also really care about people who do not know Jesus Christ. That should bother us. Should it not, church? That there are people in our midst that, that do not know the good news. This should grieve us. This should, this should drive us to our knees. This should, this should motivate us to share the gospel, to open our mouth, to, to be excited, to pray, to worship, to, to exhort heaven that God would move in the hearts of people. Yes? And sometimes... Uh, making room for that shift in the life cycle of a church. We're at just that stage uh, where there's shifts that are beginning to happen. And the thing that I wanted to mention to you, it, it's, a, it's a small one, but most of our signups now are going to go completely digital. And so, you know, we used to have signups out, out in the back, and you could take your nice little pen and write your name. We're not, we're not doing that anymore. Most of what we're doing where we're interacting and, and helping you get connected to things is going to happen through your smartphone. It's going to happen through email. It's going to happen through you signing up at guest services. But just about everything that's going to happen in the life of our church, you can engage with at signup.highpointatlanta.org. Sign up or sign ups? I think it's sign up. Anyhow, if you go there literally right now on your phone, you will see all the different things that are happening in the church. And you can sign up for any of them literally right now. I know. It's crazy. I just blew your mind with that, didn't I? <laughs> exactly. But, guys, these are some of the shifts we're making. Leadership shifts. 
how we're, you know, how we're managing different environment shifts. These are good things, but sometimes it's like steering the Titanic, right? Where you just, and we just slowly but surely, we're growing and becoming not just a small church, but a church that's growing into the next chapter and the next season that God has for us. That's exciting, but I want to invite you also to hold on and hang on and be excited about bringing your friends, praying for people, engaging people that don't know Christ, because that's why we're doing what we're doing. Amen? You guys with me on that? I don't know that you guys are catching me on this. When I say that we value reaching the lost, like, we will shut this whole thing down. I will shut this down in order to effectively reach people that don't know Jesus. That's what we will do because we're that crazy about it, that people don't know the gospel. Man, we will move heaven and earth that they might hear it and have the chance to respond. That's who we are. That is who we are. Let's do this. We're starting a brand new series today, and that series is called Stranger Things. And if you're like me, and maybe you're a Netflix junkie, you know, in the evenings, there was a show called Stranger Things that came out last year, and it was a little bit spooky. It was a little bit about the supernatural. It had some, uh, some weird things, some strange things happening in it. A kid went missing. It was, it was kind of like an X-Files type vibe, but it was the hit sensation of the country, and the new season is getting ready to come out. In October, yes, some of you are geeked. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Here's the deal. It was set in the 80s. The show was set in the 80s and pays tribute to 1980s pop culture from beginning to end. And when I say that it is a gift to the world, it is a gift to the world. But the show has a lot of strange things happening in it. Thinking about the 80s, the 80s had some strange stuff. Did it not? I mean, go, go ahead and throw that picture up. I, I, I brought a picture of myself that I wanted to bless you with today. That's right. That's right. I'm not ashamed of that. I mean... Oh, my goodness. If you're listening online, I have a picture up on the screen of me when I was probably about 10 years old, and I am rocking the best red clip-on tie you will ever see. I've got a short sleeve shirt on that a, a boat could literally move through this, the size of the sleeves that I have rolled up. I've got glasses the size of the Hubble Space Telescope on my face, and I've got a side spike. If you remember the side spike haircut in the 80s, early 90s, I'm rocking it like it's my job. And best of all are the laser beams behind me that scream about 1987, 1988, although it's looking good, people. Okay, you can take the picture off. Here's the thing about things that are strange. We look at that picture that I just had up, and we can laugh about it because here we are in 2017, 2018, although the 1980s trends do seem to be kind of on their way back in. For the most part, there are so many things that we look at and we say, oh my gosh, why would anybody do that? That's so weird, or that's so dumb, or foolish, or that's strange. Yet in the moment... 
1988, 89, 87, it wouldn't have been strange to look like that. I was fitting in. I was looking like everybody else with the side spike happening, working for me. The laser beams behind me, that clip on tie like it was my job. Are you with me this morning? When I got home from school, I would rock DuckTales and Voltron until it was, I mean, all day, every day. I, would, I had my pumps. I had my, my, my high tops. I'd get on my bike in the neighborhood because you could do that then without any parental supervision. And you'd get all your friends and you would terrorize the neighborhood until the sun went down and the, slide, the, 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 the door at the front would open and you would hear your mom just yell, Andy, dinner time. And everybody come running. That was life in the 80s. And to live it any other way, honestly, was, well, you would have been strange. You would have been the stranger thing. And yet growing up as in a Christian home, with a Christian family, with godly parents, I also want to share this, this tension. Because in our home, there were, there were decisions that we made and there were things that we wrestled with as a family. That because Christ was first in our home, there were things that we just weren't going to do. There were experiences that we weren't going to share in. There were, like I said, things that we weren't going to do. There were words that we weren't going to use. There were, there were things that as a Christian, as people who put Jesus first, there were simply things that we weren't going to partner with. And maybe everybody else in the neighborhood did. And it's an interesting thing that when you pursue Jesus and when you put him first, there naturally comes a moment, there naturally comes tension in your life where you have to make decisions that are contrary to what culture would say is acceptable, what culture would say you should do. And because Jesus is first in your life, you might find people looking at you Sometimes, like you're a little bit strange. You guys with me on this today? Being a Christian and following Jesus will naturally put you in environments at times where people will find you to be strange. Those are the facts. Whether you like them or not, that is the life that you and I get called to. So what does that actually look like? I'm going to pray here in just a moment because this is one of those, those moments, church. We may be young, but I want you to hear this loud and clear. One of the greatest challenges in front of us, especially in the Bible Belt, is that we as Christians will do anything to look, smell, taste, feel, function, and be recognized like one of the guys, one of the gang. We don't want anything to set us apart, yet the word holy, which God has called his chosen people. If you are a Christian, you are called to a life of holiness, and the word holy literally means to be set apart. 
Meaning the moment you said, I do, Jesus, you are my God, my Lord and my Savior. There is a, there is a lightning bolt that begins to hit your heart. That begins to wrestle with your flesh. All of a sudden, you start feeling conviction over things you never, you never had conviction over before. Why am I bothered by this? I didn't used to be bothered by this. Because God is changing you, and he is setting you apart. But we do a great job at grieving and resisting the Holy Spirit inside of us and doing everything we can to not be set apart. We're going to pray. And then we're going to break this down. And I want to encourage you that the, one of the greatest things that you can do for your family, for your friends, for the, for the future relationships in your life is to live sold out for Jesus. To hold nothing back. And to be comfortable with maybe looking a little strange from time to time. Father, be with us. Lord, as we're starting a new series, as we're reading from the Gospels, as we're, as we're trying to follow you, Jesus, to become more like you, to be changed by you, God, would you open our, our hearts and our minds today? God, would you grip us with a passion for you and your kingdom and those who do not know you, Lord? God, we're asking this in the name of Jesus, amen. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is, was, is one of the apostles. He's one of Jesus' right-hand guys, if you're new to faith or church. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Peter is writing to uh, a young church. He's getting on in, in, in his years for his life. He's probably got a little salt and pepper happening with his hair. He might be, it might be thinning out up top. He's nearing the end, so to speak, with his life. And he's beginning to write these letters to these churches to encourage them. After he's gone. And he says in 2 Peter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's a long sentence. Lots of commas in there. I'm going to give you a little backstory here, and we're going to fill in the gaps. If you're familiar with, with a Roman history, there was an emperor named Nero. He was a ruthless dictator. He did not like Christians. Christians at this point in time in the Roman Empire were considered a, a threat. They were looked at as rebellious to the institution uh, of the Roman Empire, and they were treated as threats. And, and so they were not treated well. They already had that going for them. But Nero was, was a maniac, for better words, for lack of better words, and was obsessed with building his city and his empire. And history tells us that Nero started a fire. His people started a fire, his guys. And it swept through Rome and devastated the city. 
And his hope was that he could burn portions of the city down that he didn't like so that he could rebuild them the way that he wanted. Well, people lost a lot of things. People lost lives. People lost children. People lost their temples, their places of work, their means of income. And you can imagine that in such a situation, they were furious. And history tells us once again that Nero, being, being a smooth operator, blamed the fire on Christians who were resisting the empire, which we know was a farce and a lie. But understand what broke out against Christians and Christianity in the early church was a severe, severe persecution because the Romans believed that the cause of this fire were the Christians. And so Peter is writing this letter to a young church in the throes of persecution. And he is telling them, he says, my beloved, those that I love, I want to urge you right now, in the midst of this tremendous difficulty and this great strain, I want to remind you who you are. You are aliens and strangers in this land. Abstain from these lusts which wage war against your soul. Would you keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, which is just people who don't know Jesus? Or excuse me, non-Jewish people. Keep your behavior looking good, folks. So that in the thing in which they slander you, which people were being slandered as fire starters, that when they look at your life and they see your good deeds and they see how you're living, they would look at you and say, man, I got nothing bad I can say about this guy. In fact, I'm compelled by the manner in which they live. Who is this God that they serve? It's interesting to note that what Peter says to the early church before he gets into any of the specifics is that he calls the church strangers. Even though this is their city. This is where they live. This is where they were born. These are their people. This is where their jobs are. This is where their income is. Yet Peter is saying to them, I love you guys, but you no longer belong here. You belong someplace else. And I want to say the same thing to you, church, as we begin to unpack and I remind myself who I am, you and I and us together, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus your homeland has changed, and you do not belong here anymore. It's a weird thing to consider, isn't it? Maybe you're not convinced. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you have citizenship. Obviously, let's just talk like it is. Everybody, if, you're, if you live in the United States and, and you've, you've done all the necessary steps to be a citizen here, then, then of course you are a citizen of the United States. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you have a citizenship that is supreme to that of even your own country. 
even the place of where you live, your city, your state, your nation even. Your citizenship is in heaven. That is where you now ultimately and truly belong. If you're a Wild Wild West fan, I love, I love a little Wild Wild West. Not the movie Wild Wild West, but like actual Western movies. If you like Wild Wild West with Will Smith in this movie, you need some deep ministry after service today. Okay? That's a problem. Okay? So... That was that. What it really is? It really is. But you remember the the westerns? You know, there, there's always the saloon scene. You know, where the guy walks in, and he's the stranger in town. You know, and there's always that guy with he's got you know he's got chew in his mouth, and there's the little bucket that they spit in, and you know he, he waddles up to him, and you know his hands kind of you know getting itchy for the the six shooter strapped to his belt, and you know it's that you know stranger, what you doing around here? We don't want your kind around here, stranger. Keep on moving. You know, and there's, there's just this moment, you know, the, the showdown, the do-do-do-do, you know, and, and it's dual time. You liked it? You liked it? Oh, yeah. I'm not going to do it again. But my point is, we don't like strangers. Which is why we've coined the phrase, stranger danger. Because you don't know what's going to happen around people that you don't know very well. You're not going to entrust your kids to them. You know, you kind of you do this action. You, you, we don't like things that are different or weird or strange. We have resistance to them. Throughout history, those who would deem the, the, the clothing of Christ who had put on what it looks like to follow him had experienced persecution, even here in the United States, in what many would call a Christian nation. If we truly live like Christ, I promise you, persecution is coming and we'll be knocking at your door. but you don't belong here. Meaning there begins inside of your heart a love for Jesus that is so compelling, that is so passionate, that is so life-altering that your life literally begins to change. And the words coming out of your mouth begin to sound different. And the things that you used to think were funny no longer, you know, seem as funny. If you've ever become a Christian and you all of a sudden watch a movie that you watched when you weren't a Christian. And you think, oh, I can't wait to watch this movie again. And then you put it on and you're like, my God, this is horrible. I can't believe I used to watch this. It's because God has been working inside of you. Because your citizenship is no longer here. It's in a different kingdom. Are you guys with me this morning? You and I are called to be stranger things. If the world never finds your faith to be strange, maybe it's because your faith looks a little too much like the rest of the world. I want to say this again, because we need to hear this, especially in the Bible Belt. If your faith never 
if the world never finds your faith to be strange, and maybe your faith looks like the world. Maybe it doesn't look any different than what, how everybody else acts and believes and talks and, and lives their life. I'll read this quote, and it's long, so put on your seatbelt. But it is one of my favorites. It's from C.S. Lewis, and he says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, guess what? There's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men and women feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it go, get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press onto that country and to help others do the same. People used to write some amazing things, didn't they? Not that they don't anymore, but man, that was really poetic. What's he saying? Man, if you have desires in your life, which all of us do, and no earthly thing, no money, no amount of sex, no amount of food, no amount of possession, none of those will satisfy the true longing inside of your heart, then it means this truth, that you were made for something more, a country beyond the one that you are currently living in, a heavenly country, a heavenly citizenship. So for us to get caught up in the affairs of this world, and the affairs of this life is to do God's kingdom injustice because they will never satisfy. Only God and his kingdom can do such a thing. And what if we were to make that our life's pursuit? The pursuit of his kingdom and helping as many other people to experience it. Whew. Now that gets me out of bed in the morning. So what does that look like? Let's, be for real. Let's, let's have some real talk today. What does that look like? Does it mean we hold hands and, and look up at the sky and we wait for Jesus to arrive on his white horse? Is that what we're supposed to do? We just sit around singing kumbaya and wait for Jesus to return. Since no one is responding, I will answer this for you. The answer to that is no. That is not what God has called you to. That is not his best for you. Are we supposed to live like the Amish? I mean, some of you are like, man, that'd actually be pretty dope. I wouldn't mind doing that. Hear me, because... Because what oftentimes happens is we'll hear a message like this or we'll, we'll have conviction of sin. And so the, 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 the opposite response is, or the one that we tend to, is to run 
and cut off all possible connection to anything that is ungodly, to that that is not of his kingdom. But guess what happens when we do that? We lose the capacity to bring other people on this journey. But that's what we do, don't we? That's our tendency, which is why Christians live in what other theologians call the Christian ghetto, meaning the only relationships that you end up having are people who know Jesus. And the thought of sharing your faith with somebody who doesn't know him sounds like an impossibility. And the reason it sounds impossible is because you don't ever do it. And the reason you don't ever do it is because you don't have relationships with those who don't know him. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But God has more for us than that. What if you were supposed to have those relationships, but those relationships were maybe supposed to look at you and think, that guy's a little strange, but I like him. That family is so different. But gosh darn it, if I don't want to bring them over to our home for a barbecue right now. I don't understand why they don't watch the same shows I watch. But I can't deny the, the integrity and quality of that marriage. I can't figure it out. I'm drawn to this. I'm compelled by this. I don't know why they treat their teenagers that way and talk to them that way and lead them this way. But insert cuss word. For goodness sakes, I, I want my teenagers to live like that. How do I do that? I'm compelled. They're strange, yet there's something inside of me that desires to know more. What if that's what our life looked like? When Amy and I, we went to Paris a year ago. Oh. It was glorious. It was right at the beginning of October. And as soon as this chill hit, all of a sudden I felt like I should have been packing my bags. And it was our 10-year anniversary. I know, life was, was tough. We went to Paris. I know. It was awesome. But when we were there, we were eating at a bistro. Some of you have heard this story before. And, and Amy found 100 bucks at this restaurant. Now, we don't... We don't have a ton of money. 100 bucks is 100 bucks. Okay, let's just talk. I mean, that's for real. That's money. That was, yes, it was in euros as well. I didn't, have to, I didn't even have to, you know, go exchange it. It was even better. 100 euros. Cash money. And we got back to the table, and she's like, Andy, look what I just found. And I was like, Jesus, look what he, look what he did. Jesus is providing for us, honey. She's like, well, this isn't ours. Well, it can be. If you want it to be, honey, it can be ours. So we, we literally sat there. We're, you know, we're drinking our little espressos, our coffees, and eating our, you know, little French thing. And, and I'm feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't like it was blowing down the street and I had no one I could go give it to or turn it into. It was at a restaurant. Down a little hallway heading into the restrooms. It was on the floor. 
Somebody was missing that money and somebody owned that money and somebody was going to open their wallet to buy something and say, oh no, where's my hundred euros? So I got the waiter, the server. I said, in my best French accent, someone dropped this and we want to just give it to you, to your manager, in case somebody comes back and is looking for it. And this guy looked at me like I had 14 heads growing out of my body. And he said, you and your wife are so kind. And I said, well, it was really just me. She wanted to keep it. (laughs) So I'm kind. Just kidding. But he... I didn't want to do that. Everything in our culture would have said, sweet, finders keepers. Put it in your wallet, bro. You just got hooked up. Payday. And yet, when I ascribe to this Lord and Savior named Jesus, the values of our culture are no longer my values. My values become that of Christ. And that money did not belong to me. And there was somebody who was going to be looking for it. And maybe they never would maybe they never would have. Maybe they forgot it. Maybe they would never return to the restaurant. Well, at least there is a server and a manager who knows that there are people out there who are willing to be a little bit strange on behalf of something bigger and better than their own personal well-being. You see, when we choose to follow Jesus, there is an inherent strangeness that should be coming upon us. Maybe not all at once, but you set aside the values of your culture and you pick up the values of Christ. When the values of culture conflict with the values of Christ, guess what? Christ wins every time. Now, that's not always easy. But that's who wins. And like Peter reminds us, would you let your behavior be so excellent, so unbelievable that Gentiles would look at you and as they're trying to slander you would say, man, I got nothing. I got nothing I can say. Because this people, these people are living by a higher set of values than the one I'm living by. See, when the values of our culture conflict with the values of Christ, Christ should always win out in our life. Now, in the next several weeks, we're going to play this out. This is just, I'm just whetting your appetite today. We're going to break this down. What does it look like to be strangers in how we truly live our lives? What does it look like to be a stranger in how we love others? What does it look like to be strangers in how we lead, how we live, how we love, and how we lead? 
Those are the things we're going to break down in the next several weeks throughout the month of October. Because I promise you, if we will choose to live as Christ would have us live, and you might be mistaken at times for being a little bit strange, we will see something break out in our community. I promise you. That guy will make an appearance. Thank you for that. See, someone causes you pain, what's culture say? No problem. Get revenge. Get revenge. Pay him back. Eye for an eye. But Jesus would have you extend forgiveness. That's strange. People don't get that. See, the world would have you do it in your own strength, but Jesus would have you trust in His to take a deep breath and to give it to Him and have faith and trust. Our culture would say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done. Come on. Suck it up and get over it. But Jesus would say, trust me. Put your faith in me. That's strange. It's weird. The world would say, give in to your desires and your impulses. Do whatever you want. If it feels good, it's good. Jesus would say at times, don't expose yourself to that. In fact, cut it off and cut it out of your life. Have nothing to do with it. That's strange. People don't get that. In a world that has been sexualized with pornography and the most jacked up, broke down kind of relationships, everything right now exists to make you happy. What does my wife would say to our children? I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you healthy. Eat that. Oh, yeah. That's right. Sometimes Jesus has to remind us of that. This isn't just about you getting every impulse and desire. There are things that we as Christians who have Christ's values need to be able to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Not in anger. Not in bitterness. Not in judgment. Isn't it interesting? That the capacity to say no is a godly thing, but Satan, who is a master of manipulation, loves to wiggle his way in. And where you and I should say, no, now we judge others. And no becomes condemnation of everyone who doesn't have it together like us. What does it look like to live as a stranger? It's odd at times. It means that when you're scrolling through Netflix, there are times, not because behavior begets relationship with Jesus. No, the opposite is true. Relationship means that there are things that I simply choose to do and not to do anymore because I value this relationship so much. 
And because that's true, there are things I say no to. Oh, man, I'd love to watch that show, but you know what? There's so much trash in it. That will not be healthy for me as a man to see that. Maybe to hear that. It's okay to say no. And for people to be like, man, you don't watch that show? Yeah. It means there are things that you're infusing and doing deliberately in your relationships and in your marriage. That's why we have a marriage and parenting workshop in two weeks from now. Because we realize that to live a biblically-based marriage and to parent with biblical values nowadays is considered strange. But we need it for the sake of our kids and the sake of our marriages, we desperately need it. As our culture is going up in flames and people are fighting with one another, how do we live as strangers? How do we live like Jesus would live? If Jesus were to look at your Facebook, your Instagram, would that be his Facebook and Instagram? Snapchat and Lord knows whatever new medium people are using. Be honest for a second. If you are a stranger in this world, your responsibility is no longer to react to situations. It's to follow the way of Christ and to respond to situations. To bring people together to bring people towards reconciliation. I promise you right now, if your social media is just used for you to rant and do your thing, you are not representing Christ in a manner that is consistent with how He represented Himself. Stepping on Tobas this morning, aren't I? I've made that mistake more times than I'd like to admit. Even just recently, I had to private message somebody and say, bro, I dominated your wall. I got into it. I don't even know who that friend is on your feed, and we got into it. I'm sorry. That wasn't right. I get that we're going to not be perfect Christians, but there's a difference between having a lapse in maturity and having a deficit of maturity. And God has called us to live differently to respond differently, to speak differently, to feel differently, to prioritize differently, to value differently. And because that's true, you will, I promise you, have moments, many of them, where the people around you just might think you're a little bit strange. Welcome to Christianity So this morning, here's how we're going to end. I've dropped a couple bombs out here. I've thrown a few things into the mix. But we're really going to begin fleshing this out in how you live, how you love, and how you lead. But I'm asking you to consider one question. And I realize I'm going straight back to the 90s with this. 
Remember those, the bracelets that everybody used to wear? WWJD. And then it, it became the trend, and then nobody cared about it. When it started, how valuable is that question? Forget all the trend and all the hype and all the hoopla. Maybe you weren't even around for that. What would Jesus do? As I'm scrolling my feed, how would Jesus respond? How would Jesus post? I was on the phone with the chaplain for the uh, Washington Redskins this week, getting wisdom and counsel on how to respond to some of the situations that are in our city and in our culture and in our country. How would Jesus have me treat my spouse? How do I do this? How do I live with his values first? How do I parent my teenagers? And when you find yourself coming up against a wall, be sure to get in your car and get back here next week because we're going to begin to break this down in great detail. But when you go to lunch, as you're getting kids out the door, as you're going to work, as you're teaching, as you're working, as you're making money, what would Jesus do? How would he handle this? Because you and I have forfeited the right to be like everybody else. When we stepped in and said, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Father, be with us. God, there are so many things. You're growing us. You're convicting us. Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes that hurts. But God, would you help us? God, would you help us to grow as men and women who desire to live like you, love like you, and lead like you, Lord? Would you help us in our marriages and help us in our, uh, with our children and our parenting? Would you help us at KSU and our college campuses, God, where there's so much pressure to conform, to be like everybody else? God, would you help us, Lord, to not live in judgment, to not live in condemnation, God, but to live and the glorious hope of becoming more like you. God, would you help us do it? We love you and worship you. Amen. Stand to your feet, church. There's a lot of things happening in the month of October. And in your chair, I want to encourage you to take it with you. There's that little calendar that we had printed. Everything from playing cards uh, with our men's night on the 14th, something that starts at 3 p.m. But the two things I really want to call attention to that we need you to sign up for, because you can do it, I promise, is we've got to know who wants to come to the marriage and parenting workshop. You can come to one portion. You can come to one half, not the other. But I can promise you, it's Keith and Jennifer Tower. He used to play for the Orlando Magic and has two of the most amazing daughters I've ever seen in my life. They're, in a, they're at college right now. If you can have an intact marriage that honors Jesus and play in the NBA and raise two girls that love the Lord, I want to listen to that guy. 
This is what he does now full time. He was my pastor in Orlando, and I am urging you to make it a priority and to sign up for it. The other thing is first steps, which starts next week. I'm super excited about it. If you want to start growing in your foundations with your faith here at High Point, this is where it starts. Even if you've been here for a long time, maybe you need a refresher. Maybe you just want to hit reset. Going back into the early 80s with a little Nintendo reference. Come to first steps. Let's start walking together. Amen. Father, be with us. Help us, Lord. Even as we go from here, in the name of Jesus, amen.